Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse, and I'm very excited because I've invited back the doctor's doctor, the modern-day Tesla and Royal Rife in female form. Some people have voted our guest today as the modern keeper of the Holy Grail for health and wellness. She is the formidable Sherry Edwards, the pioneer of human bioacoustic vocal profiling, which is used for many incredible health and wellness efforts to diagnose nutritional deficiencies and other health and wellness challenges. She talks about how it is that frequencies contained in our voice are holographic representations of our state of health and ourself. She is an expert in the area of bioacoustic biology, that is bioacoustic-based modalities of the voice resonance. She's a pioneer in everything about the voice you can imagine. To me, she is the female form of Edgar Casey and Columbo of the modern day, and she is a contender. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Sherry Edwards from SoundHealthOptions.com to its rainmaking time. Welcome back. Thank you, Kim. What an incredible introduction. But it's true. I'm so glad to be speaking with you three years after our first show when we did bioacoustics, what the voice tells us. That was such a robust show and such a transformational segment, and what you downloaded on that was so packed. I hope that everybody listens to it and also goes to your site. I really would like to talk to you about your initial frame of reference about the voice, because for those people who have not heard the first segment or are unfamiliar with your work, go ahead and lay out your main frame of reference about bioacoustic biology and bioacoustic voice profiling. Well... We can go about this in two different directions. One, in a way that people can understand the most, is that when you hear a young man going through puberty, his voice changes in response to those hormones. And so we just figured out the rest of it in response to toxins and nutrients and genetics. And so we've built a database, and we stick a microphone in front of people's face, and we look at the pieces of their voice that are overabundant, like a song that's got bad notes in it, and then we look at what's not there, and we entrain the brain to put it back. Okay, one perspective. The next perspective is I was raised in Appalachia, in poor Appalachia, and I lived in a corn crib with no running water and no electricity and nothing that would mess up the sounds that I was hearing because electricity really is a, a problem with blanking out what people are able to hear of their own sounds. So here I am in Appalachia, and, you know, no TV, no radio, no books, no newspaper, no nothing. you got your family and your crops to grow, and that's about it. So I am talking to people and didn't know any different that nobody else was hearing um, the chickens and the roosters and the carrots and the grapes. And I was trying to talk to my family about this. You know, the carrot says it's okay to pull them tomorrow. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> you little witch. <laughs> and people could have their back turned to me. And somebody would ask them a question. I said, well, Aunt Georgie thought so-and-so, or Aunt Georgie said so-and-so. And she'd turn around and say, I didn't say it, you little witch. But she... I didn't say it. I only thought it, you little witch. So here I am stuck with this family that really doesn't understand. And so I just went underground with it. If somebody got hurt, 
I would help them and sing to them and hum to them, um, like it could, singing to them could stop blood. Singing to them could take over a headache. But I had no frame of reference whatsoever for this, and I used it to cheat in school because <laughs> if, I, if I didn't understand the question or I didn't know the answer, I just asked the teacher uh, a question about it, and then the answer, would I could just hear it. Uh, they wouldn't say it, but I could just hear it. So I was very good in school, but I kept all of this hidden. And people kept asking me, well, can you do this or do that? And I ended up teaching parapsychology for about 10 years at the local university. And then I sort of came out of the closet with a little bit of this. Then it really manifested when my daughter had a really bad swimming accident. She swung off this Tarzan rope and fell into water on her knees and imploded her knee so that um, the rest of the leg was kind of hanging off to one side. And I thought, you know, I have taught laying on of hands healing at the university. I have kept all of this to myself for the most part. If it ever worked, if this is real, and I need it now because I'm going to watch my daughter die. And so I started humming to her and doing these sounds. And Well, the first thing I did was take her leg and twist it back around and jam it together, and I wrapped this guy's shirt around it. And I called for an ambulance. It was before cell phones. So I sent somebody, but I knew she was going to die. I had seen all of the, the tissue and stuff hanging out of the upper part of her leg. I'm going to faint. <laughs> I just wanted to help her die easier. So I'm singing to her, and we're talking about her being accident-prone, when she totally is, and there the ambulance came, and I was grateful. But when they opened this, um, took this shirt off of it, she hadn't bled but a couple of tablespoons, and so they put her in this basket, wire basket, and floated her across this river because there wasn't any roads to the side we were on. They got her to the hospital, and I had taught these nurses, uh, Kruger's laying on of hands healing and all of this stuff, in that parapsychology course. And they said, okay, Sherry, you can let go of this because I'm probably in a state of shock here, and I'm still doing these sounds um, that I just hear from people and feed them back, and then their body takes over and helps them return to optimal form and function. And when they said, well, you can stop this, it's okay now, I started to shake. And I probably shook for about three days I, because I wasn't thinking about me or what was going on. I was thinking about my daughter. And to tell the end of the story here, she had three operations. She was in the hospital for 49 days. She had split the bones seven inches diagonal. She had tore all the vessels even the artery. They don't know how she didn't bleed to death, and neither did I. But my husband and I thought about it, and we said, if we can duplicate these sounds that you're singing, if we can keep one parent from having to watch their kids die, if we can help people through a heart attack or whatever else weird you're doing here, we committed our lives to it at that point. And from there, we started sound health and the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology, and I tried to find other people who were doing it, 
and nobody was. I was kind of out here in left field, and I went to other people who were doing sort of sound things uh, and offered to give it to them. One person took me up on it uh, because they found out that my voice could scramble iron oxide tapes, you know, those reel-to-reel tapes. <laughs> um, and they thought they could make some money from that. So from there, we built a machine that could do what my ears and well, what my voice could do. And we found out by tuning it to the sound I was hearing, people's um, problems would go away. They could breathe again and things like that. And it just sort of built itself and it came to a crest where I was really thinking I was totally insane. Why? Of, Why? Or, because I would hear things. So are you naturally clairvoyant or clairaudient, can we say? I must be, because I didn't understand it until Sylvia Franck wrote her book, The Tree of Life and Holy Grail. Now, I'd never met the woman, but she said in there, Sherry Edwards is the keeper of the Holy Grail information. And then it made sense to me about how I could hear these things. Because if you remember the Templars, they were charged with keeping people safe, whether it was by health or on a journey. And in the 14th century, King Philip tried to kill them all off. But they were the people that Dan Brown wrote about in the last few years in the symbol and all that, the Templars. And they have... Uh, the um, Maltese cross as a symbol that they showed in the movie. Yes. And we started looking at what my voice was singing and what was coming out of that machine, and it ended up being the architecture forms that were in the Maltese cross. And so this is backward science. So a little bit at a to- uh, time, we gained more and more knowledge Now we have an Institute of Bioacoustic Biology. People come to us from all over the world. Pfizer Pharmaceuticals is doing some work that um, we turned into the National Institute of Health. GlaxoSmithKline is now using a little grain of rice kind of thing to, to put frequencies in your body when you need it. I think they're using it like a TENS unit for pain. But we have the frequencies. James Junjewski out of UCLA was using it and saying, every sound in the body, or every cell in the body makes a sound. And if we could only figure out what that sound is, we could revolutionize medicine. And we're going, hey, hey, we're over here. We've been doing it for 20 years. What you're really introducing is the medicine of the future. And people say they want it, very much like they'd like to have access to technology like Star Trek used, right? Both the older and the newer Star Trek show. But the reality is that you are offering the Star Trek version of medicine of the future. It's effective. The army has come to you. The veterans have come to you. People from every walk of life, including the NIH, has come to you. And even the pharmaceutical companies are using it. The question is how to establish and widen the demand for this kind of medicine of the future. And what's your thoughts since we've spoken in the last three years? Well, there's two or three things that I think is a problem. One, I have not written anything but textbooks. I've never written a book for the public, although I have an idea and I outlined one. It's called Breaking the Sound Barriers of Disease. So the other thing is I have no education for this. When I was doing my Ph.D. work 
and they wanted me to get a group together that could be my committee, they wanted me to find people who were expertise in this, and there wasn't anybody. And so they brought in an engineer, and they brought in this person, and they all told me this couldn't be done. I said, I have results. This can be done. They said, oh, that's just spontaneous remission. But, you know, once you get to 100 or 1,000 people that they've regrown their nerves and they don't have emphysema anymore and they don't have migraines and it reverses their Parkinson and they don't have heart disease, where do you stop saying that this is spontaneous remission? So I didn't have the education for it, but neither did anybody else. My education is in curriculum and instruction and interpersonal communication because I thought these sounds meant something to people, that they were coming from the body. I knew that. I knew they were coming from the ear. I was working in the speech and hearing department, and the guy who was running the place said, oh, Sherry, we think you're weird enough. Don't be talking about a sound coming out of somebody's ear. It's just not possible. But Wendell Brown at John Hopkins University proved that there's a sound coming out of the ear. We proved that's what I'm hearing. So this is all these old ideas, ancient ideas, I should say, about a signature sound. But I think the, the biggest problem that we have is that we're going against what people trusted, what was the convention of the day. We're offering a new kind of medicine, and I probably shouldn't say that, but that's really what it is. It's a new kind of support for optimal form and function is how our attorneys make us say it. Because if you look at it, we knew how to reverse um, fibromyalgia before there was any medication for it. And we deliberately chose that so we wouldn't step on pharmaceutical toes. When we put this information in the hands of the National Institute of Health, it's because we knew how to reverse Parkinson's disease and even how to predict it before it ever happened. Can you do that with Alzheimer's as well? Oh, that is a great question. I'll talk to you about that in a minute. We have 71 programs that we share with the public. And, Kim, we give the majority of these away so people can start their own bioacoustic community. But think about this idea that if I, we know what causes cancer here, or the biggest part of it. Now, if I'd have gone after that, the cancer research people and the people who are making tons of money on cancer research and not curing cancer would have been all over my butt. I just lost my doctor, Dr. James Privatera, and have really been grieving the loss of him as a friend, as a colleague, and as a great doctor. But I want to tell you, he would have been open to you but your offerings would have been foreign to him as an offering of health and healing. It's interesting. I think even some of the complementary doctors and the people that are doing the alternative health communication and education to patients and using any type of supplements, still this would seem foreign to them too unless they had the real science background and understood something about bioacoustic biology. Do you agree with me? I do, and there's an easy explanation for that. Okay. There's a local doctor here, Dr. Russ Rudy, who they said had MS. And by the time he got to us, he was in a little scooter. They said, there's nothing else we can do for you. He had an implanted pump that was pumping him full of keeping your pain away. So he came to us because 
some one of his doctors said, "Okay, you have nothing to lose. Go to go to see this woman." From November to one year to May the next, we helped his body regrow his nerves from the waist down to his feet. Well, the first thing we said is, "You don't have MS." He didn't match the the frequencies or the numbers of MS. He matched the frequency sets for trauma to a vertebrae. And sure enough, he then remembered where the trauma was. But he would not tell his colleagues how he was getting well. He's back to work now. He's emergency room doctor. Doesn't that tell you a lot about peer pressure and how people are absolutely codependent on what other people think of them, that they want to fit in so badly that even here you are saving this guy's life, right? He doesn't want people to know what you're doing. Absolutely. And it's because there wasn't enough people who knew about this. You take the next step of that. We didn't have money to do anything. The only money that comes in here is what gets collected from the classes that I teach. And I just mostly give everything away. So, and even people's sessions, because we have a research center here where we see guinea pigs and they let us experiment on them. But in looking at all of that, there's not enough money to do what what comes around. I haven't been paid in two and a half years. Well, we're going to end that. We're going to end that this year because I've been collecting some capacity of exactly how it needs to be done. It really should not be done on a traditional investment level. I'll tell you why later, but... (laughs) This is what needs to happen here. Yeah, it just needs to happen. That's the bottom line. We're ready. Yeah. We're ready. Yeah. We we are developing a computer program now called Checkpoint. And in the Checkpoint, you can check, I want to look at leaky gut, I want to look at fatigue, I want to look at thyroid, and it'll give you a printout that you can take to your doctor, and we're calling these management reports. Wonderful. And I also want to see that there's plenty of money for you to develop the Mac version of the program that you've already developed. Yes. Because so many of us are on Macs and we can't really participate in the same way that the Windows population can. So I want to see that happen so that you have complete full integration. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I want you to consider that the water we drink is crucial to our health and well-being. I also want you to consider that chronic dehydration is the precursor to a disease state. The work of Dr. Batman Jelic demonstrates this. Many of us are trying to find alkalized water to drink, thinking that's going to be the answer to impacting our health and well-being. Most of us don't know that if we cannot get our body hydrated, we cannot achieve continuous alkalinity, which is a promoter of health and well-being. The physics of water is totally distinct from the chemistry of water. And until you understand what that means to health and wellness, you can be lost in trying to understand what is good, healthy water to drink. Dr. Jacques Benveniste was right when he said that water has memory and is alive. And Dan Nelson is right when he says there's a distinction between irrigating the body and hydrating it. And most of us attempt to hydrate it by drinking more water. Cells cannot assimilate most of the water that we drink. So our cells are dehydrated all the time. Learn the science about this by going to the Positron Group and consider purchasing Wayback Water, the fast track to hydration by Dan Nelson, who's a physicist, an educator, and a man who's committed that we have healthy, remarkable drinking water. 
Go to waybackwater.com or call Nancy Ainsley at 870-741-5877. And back to the show. Andy, would you please open up the Starship Bridge and invite our guest? Hi, guys. (laughs) Hello. What is your name? This is Maggie Hines calling from New York, and it is a super-duper-duper pleasure to be talking with both of you, Kim and Sherry. Welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) What is your question to Sherry? Well, listening to the discussion of establishing a vocabulary and proving your work as a science, I wanted to ask you to speak to sacred geometry and the golden phi ratio in relationship to the structure of the human physique. If she does speak to that and respond to that, I do want definitions made so that we keep the audience clear what we're talking about and referring to. Well, if I knew anything about it, I would tell you, but I would have to refer you to a book, a new one called Secret Sounds, and it's all about the ancient geometry and sophagio and golden mean, but I don't know enough about that because our work is based on Pythagorean harmonics. Can you tell us what that is, Pythagorean harmonics? And Maggie, we'll get to your next question in a moment. If you think back, and I, and I don't know the exact numbers, I'll make it up. If you take a, a string that's four feet long and you pluck it, it might give you the note of C. And if you fret it, put your finger on the middle of it, it'll give you the note of C one octave above. And then you make it into thirds, and it makes, uh, I think, a G sharp. I can't remember. But all of those harmonics are in the body. They're very natural harmonics to nature. And then take the next step and realize that everything that happens to you happens by way of a frequency or a set of frequency harmonics. So you hear something, the ear changes it into electrical chemical energy, sends it to the brain as a frequency. You see something, trillions of cycles per second. The eye changes it into electrical chemical frequencies that go to the brain. Everything gets there as a frequency. Now, the brain is the central processing unit of the body, and all this neural network sends all those frequencies every place in the body to animate it. Now, all of those frequency sets are based on the natural harmonics of the universe. It's how petals are made on flowers. It's how bark patterns are made on a tree. It's how we existed. And all we did was figure out a way to tap in to that set of harmonics through feeding a frequency to the body that went back to the brain, and we've already proven it goes that way now from what we're doing, and we can restructure um, a muscle. We can change a biochemical pattern. Just like the, in chemistry, there's these pathways. We call this math, mathways of the body. And we can look at the grid of your voice. And the, when we look at the grid and all the frequencies of your voice, it comes right back to this Pythagorean harmonics. So we just found a way to tap in and entrain the brain to listen to what we're doing. Can you also define entrainment for those that are not familiar with what that is? Okay, you pluck one string on a piano and the other strings begin to vibrate in harmony to it. So that's entrainment? 
Yes. So when the brain is functioning and doing that, can you give another example? A clocks, clocks that are in the same room that aren't digital, you know, the mechanical clocks, they begin to sync to the same time. And what are those little things when you play the piano and you put them on your piano and it flips back and forth? Oh, oh, God, I know what that is. Yes, metronome. They begin to entrain. Some of Rupert Sheldrick's work talks about the biology of plants and trees in terms of what he calls this morphogenic resonance. In ancient times, they called it a signature sound. And all of these different theories about sophagio numbers, they do a certain thing in the body. And then you look at this pattern, and they do another uh, pattern in the body or another system. But when you break it down, it all comes back to harmonics. Right. And, and you can make harmonics easy. Let's say you take a, a 16 cycles per second. Divide that in 2, 8, and 4, and 2, and 1, and you can't divide it anymore. So the fundamental number of 16 is 1 because you can't divide it by itself again and still keep a whole number and then start adding that number back. So you look at 16, 17, 18, 19 as you added the 1 back to the number each time. That's Pythagorean harmonics. And by the way, that what we call that harmonic rollover, that number 16 is the one that keeps your immune system healthy. So we have discovered that every number and its harmonics has a pattern that speaks to some system in your body. And we just created these computer programs that can almost instantly say, that's your problem by math. Maggie, did you have another question for Sherry? I wish I could have answered your question, Maggie. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's a very fleshed-out answer. Many of the architects, I'm thinking of Frank Lloyd Wright, who would pull strings across. You're talking about acoustics, and you are speaking to sacred geometry, and it's very mathematical and scientific, in my opinion, your description. I think perhaps frequency is just too amorphous to the public, but you are very technical-sounding. What's your next question, Maggie? My next question is, uh, you spoke of the laying on of hands, doing laying on of hands work. I have a background with Barbara Brennan. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she has a very scientific layout of the human chakra system. And I wanted to ask you if at any point in your dissertations you talk about what you're doing in relationship to the throat chakra, your fifth chakra? The throat chakra. We look at all of the chakras of the body not as energy centers, but as places where energy can come and go in the body, much like a shopping center in the back, out the front. So if you look at the chakra points, they are really the most neutral points on the body where a particular color or frequency can enter and leave the body. Now I should back up and say frequency is dot, dot, dot. All of you have seen these TV shows where these detectives put a little something on a piece of cotton and stick it in this little twisty around machine and they come out and say, okay, that's hydrogen peroxide because it has this, this, and this as its components. So we break down things to find out what they are. But there's also this pattern, and we've proved it mathematically. There is a pattern of buildup. If you take the frequency of oxygen and subtract the secret frequency of nitrogen, it equals hydrogen. 
And I should bop this up on my computer here to tell you exactly what all these numbers are. And as you begin to bump these frequencies into each other, much like you would bump a frequency as a wave, you put two pebbles in a pond and you can see the waves mixed together, this is what has happened to create our universe. Frequency is anything you want to say, and we have just put together those sets of frequency into patterns that we recognize in states as states of disease. So when the brain receives all of these signals from your voice or any input, it's all translated to frequency. And when those frequencies don't match from what your body needs to be doing, that's when we begin to say, well, there is dis-ease in the body. Just looking at how the brain hears, how the ears hear, one ear hears quicker than the other because they're a little farther apart. You know, they're not in the same spot. So as you begin to hear even people's voices, the first thing the brain does is subtract the two and give you a third sound, just like your eyes I guess when kids are little, they see different things out of different eyes, and you have to train your eye to come together to see one focus. And you can still unfocus your eye and see two of whatever you're looking at. And looking at the brain and how it subtracts those two numbers, and then the second thing it does is average the two numbers. So all of this input is coming into the brain, and that's the way that we got created. Because if you start to look at our DNA and you take this frequency of DNA and that frequency of DNA, and you sort of put them together like the body heard that at once, it creates another part of your DNA. And as the pattern gets bigger and bigger, it starts to create cell structure and and cell biochemistry and then reproductive biochemistry and then cognitive biochemistry. The mass of this is incredibly beautiful. I can't think of another word. Think about this concept that if God or the great entity created all of this, it, the least common denominator is based on math. So think of God as math and math as medicine. I have a few questions for you, but I want to open up the Starship Bridge now. Andy, I want to ask you if you have any questions for Sherry. I actually do have a question. I've gone through some biofeedback therapy, and that was immensely useful in helping me to get over a hormone imbalance that I was going through. I think a lot of it was dietary, and there were stress factors and all that, but a lot of what you're describing sounds remarkably similar to that process, and I was wondering if you could make any distinctions between biofeedback and what you're doing. Well, as you look at biofeedback, it's the mind controlling what's going on. The heart math people have a great biofeedback thing going on. But if you look at your emotions and your response, it's just an octave. The octave for emotions is about 16, um, no, it's 8 to 16 cycles per second. So you can control from that octave, but you can go look at 16 to 32, and that's a structural octave, and you can control by manipulating the muscles and doing dance and dance movement and um I can't remember all the, is it Traeger that's the dance movement stuff? I'm not sure. But you can do it from your biochemistry. You can eat certain foods and do it. You can do it from a biomagnetic potential. They put all these little magnets on you. It's just an octave. 
and the people who do homeopathy started some of this in looking at the number one and then doubling it to two and doubling it to four and doubling it to eight and 16 and creating what they call this Avogadro's grid. And it's all about harmonics and numbers. And in that Avogadro's grid that you start with one and double it and I think a hundred times, and then down the other side it's one, 1.01, 2, to get to number two, and then you start over with more of the doubling. What's the distinction, though, between biofeedback, as Andy was talking about and referring to, and what you're doing? The main distinction is what? Well, biofeedback is just an octave. We use biofeedback to monitor. So as he's thinking about something, he's controlling those patterns that are all in harmonics with each other. But you could do the same thing with structure or chemistry or whatever. You're just tapping in at that point of biofeedback where you're thinking and allowing something to happen. We use biofeedback here to tell whether the sounds are correct, so that's the other side of it. Your oxygen saturation will tell you whether or not that music is good for you, that vegetable is good for you, whatever you're doing, and and we use biofeedback in that manner. But it's just an octave. They say everything's in the mind. It's just an octave. Well, if you want to consider that the mind controls everything in the body, that would be okay. But we can have somebody who has a nerve that has died. They don't very well go in and make that nerve regrow, but we could give them a magnetic potential and make the nerve grow. Just the same octave. Start with two, four, and eight. Andy's talking about eight as the octave of how the mind can control. But divided in two, four, that's how chemistry controls. Divided in two again, and you're looking at magnetics. So it's just an octave. And we can tap in on any octave that um, is a preference to the people involved. Did I still not answer it? Yes, actually, that's very helpful. So biofeedback kind of applies to a, a particular band, but you can go a lot deeper using some of the methods that you're talking about. But you need to go in on the band that the person operates on. We had a psychiatrist send us a guy that couldn't get along with his mother, and she said, oh, he's run out of insurance money, you guys take him, which is how we usually got our clients when nobody else would take him. And she said, it's a problem with his mother. It's emotional. Just go talk to him about something emotional. So we looked, and sure enough, okay, here's the number that's the problem, and let's say that it's 20, and I'm just making this part up. So 20 is a structural issue, and so we divided it in two at 10 to look at his emotional issue. And we played the, the note of 10. Nothing happened. It didn't phase him a bit. He wasn't relieved of any stress. He still hated his mother. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. So we divided in two again, down to five, and played the sound for him. And he relaxed. You could see his face relax. Um, and we tried to talk to him about his problems with his mother and his older girlfriends. He couldn't get along. He couldn't even remember them. And we looked up the number, and it ended up being a, one of the B vitamins. So it was not an emotional issue. It was a nutritional issue that manifested as an emotional issue. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You're smart. You pay attention to evidence. 
Go get pure vitamin C at purecllc.com. Prevent colds. And if you have them, get rid of them quickly. If you have heart disease, take pure vitamin C. If you don't have heart disease, prevent it. And above all, make sure you get this brand of vitamin C that is GMO-free, corn-free, China-free, and manufactured in the United States of America. Pure C LLC. Go get yourself some. And back to the show. When you do a vocal profiling and you have a wave or whatever is the file of a person's voice, for example, I'm processing the death of my doctor. And so if you had taken my voice profiling three years ago when we first did the segment together, you may have come in on a glimpse of where I was then. And now if you take it, you may still find a lot of the stuff in the resonance of my voice, but you may still find an upset there in the background that the public may or may not be able to hear unless I speak about it. Isn't it then unique to the time frame and the real-time voice profiling of where they are? Absolutely. When you're going to look at something that's topic-specific, and we have a free program for people who do that. It's called Nano Voice. N-A-N-O, and they can go to our site and download that. The site is soundhealthoptions.com, and it's under downloads, and then it's NanoVoice. And that is a real-time evaluation sample of your voice. When we begin to look at this real-time input, that's in vocal range only, and we look at six octaves of the voice, and we look at all 12 notes in six octaves. And we can tell where the stress is. Can you tell the audience what an octave is? You know, when you're in something as deep as you're in it, it's like the air you breathe. But what is an octave? A is 440, A is 220, A is 110, half, 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 half. I don't get it. I'm not as smart as you. <laughs> I don't know if I can sing any of these Are you notes. giving us the mathematical equations of do re mi fa sol The same note doubled. Okay. I think we got the essence of what that is. Maggie, do you have another question for Sherry Edwards? Is it fair to say that the recurrent laryngeal nerve is a transcendental feature of our anatomy? I would love to say that. Unfortunately, I can't prove it. But the recurrent laryngeal nerve controls the vocal cords, and it's a direct conduit to the brain through the parasympathetic nervous system that controls everything that's going on. Um, All the signals from all parts of the body go through that parasympathetic nerve bundle. And so the vocal uh, expression is involved with how the frequencies are moving through the parasympathetic nerve bundle. It begins to entrain and in turn entrains the vocal cords. And we have just learned this graceful elegance of what is going on in someone's voice. We can tell when they're excited. <laughs> oh, when they're really sad and upset. And, you know, we have just learned that. I have this idea. I can't prove it yet. But I think this autoacoustic emission, this sound that's coming out of our ears that they don't really know where it's coming from, I think it's a combination of all of the frequencies of the brain. And it expresses itself Mm -hmm. through the ear, and it's measurable. And I think if we could watch thought patterns happen, it would be the interference pattern that took your voice and my voice and, like waves in a pond, mixed them 
as you're giving out sound and I'm receiving sound, these interference patterns tell us what's really going on with somebody. I would like to have a drawing mm-hmm. of that, but I think that's absolutely true. You, you can take a wire and measure these sounds coming out of the ear, and you can tell liver and pancreatic diseases now. Those are the two biggest ones they've looked at. But you can predict in these different layers and octaves where somebody is in terms of their inner organ functions. And then you go back to the ancients, and they say, ah, oh, everybody had a signature sound. And usually the signature sound was involved with a group of people in that certain geographic area. And you could put them together by families. By the way, Maggie, that was a great question. Sherry, I want to ask you a question when you're done with this So part. I think that's where they go in and give you your mantra, your mantra number, your frequency that you can sing and calm you down. But we are all over the planet now, so everybody is so intermixed. I've come up with a, a theory called electromagnetic genetics to find your magnetic family, not necessarily your genetic family. I love that. We'll come back to you, Maggie. All right. I think I shared with you in the first segment, Sherry, that since I was a little girl, I have always been able to hear somebody's voice and I can tell if there's trouble or not. (laughs) I can tell if there's conflict that's going to get in the way, the unchecked ego of the person, the soul maturity of the person, whether they can be trusted to do what they say they're going to do. I've always had this ability and I never told people because I was embarrassed about it, frankly. Very much like took you years to be able to really embrace the gifts that you have in this area. I don't have all the gifts in this area like you do, but I've had this uncanny thing where I can hear a voice and I can tell what that soul is dealing with and what's needed. Obviously not in the way that you're able to have created something that can identify what's there in the voice, what's needed nutritionally, where that body is at, and other things that the soul is dealing with as medicine of the future. Is this the homeopathy of the voice in effect? Well, one, I want to say it's incredible that you can hear this and discern it. I think we could always do that a long time ago before we mucked up our environment. And the fact that you've tamped into that means that you're a very pure channel. Well, thank you. I feel I am, and I've actually been embarrassed about it, but it's a gift. It really is a gift, and it's gotten stronger as I age, hopefully like good wine. You still have to have a good grape, right? Can you define homeopathy for people? Is that an improper question to ask you? And then do you feel that the direction that you're setting forth in bioacoustic vocal profiling is a kind of homeopathy of the voice in a part of the way that you're using it? I'll answer the homeopathy one. In the beginning, it deals with left and right brainedness. And when we look at someone's voice and they have a very low note of A, the logic would tell you, give them the note of A. also have a lot of uh, education in brain dominance. And I found it fascinating that sometimes when A is missing, we can give you the exact opposite note, like A is blue and we'd have to give you the opposite note of D-sharp, which is a shade of gold. So as numbers are opposites, and they don't teach you that in school, so are colors opposites. Red and green are opposites. Um, A and or Capricorn blue and gold are opposites. So we tapped into that to be able to use the frequencies of it. Now, we had a, a guy come in. His note of A was missing, 
and his note of D-sharp was too high. Now, by color, we're looking at blue and gold. Yes, they're opposites by color, but are they opposites by frequency? We proved that they were, because when we gave him the A, he did not respond. And even though it was missing, he didn't really like it. So we gave him that opposite by color and opposite by frequency, and his stomach problems went away. The same thing is said for homeopathy. I believe that if you look at conventional medicine right now, they run on left brain convention, and they would have given the guy A, and he would get cured. I think homeopathy is for the right-brained person, because when we gave the guy the D-sharp that he had too much of, then he got cured. Think of it this way. If you have poison ivy, the conventional doctor is going to give you some calamine lotion and keep you from itching. But the homeopathic doctor is going to give you a little tincture of poison ivy, so give you more of what you have so your body will get up and fight. So I think this can be divided into left and right brainedness. It can be divided into homeopathic and um, whatever they're calling conventional medicine at this point. Uh, I think it can be divided in preferences for colors, preferences for sound. So the answer to that is yes, this is homeopathic medicine, but it's the math, the sound of homeopathic medicine. When you look at this whole spectrum, you can hear from about 14 to about 20,000 cycles per second. That's one section. And from sight, it's 350 to 780 cycles per second. So it's just different places where you drop into the frequency that makes it, whether it's going to be um, a pill or surgery or homeopathic. And I think it all depends on left and right brainedness. And I also think that is a big problem with people who do color therapy. They try to do color and sound together and it doesn't make any sense or they don't get the results. Because the person who's left brain, color and sound is opposite. And the person's right brain, color and sound are the same. It's the way we are wired. So even Ayurvedic medicine taps in to frequencies. All these different kinds of acupuncture and chiropractor, they all tap in to just an octave of the same issue. Most of the people in the know can receive the fact that sound is frequencies. But when you look at the concept of light, the biggest, baddest, and best agencies of the world of research know that light is a spectrum of frequencies and you can cure and heal people with light. So if we can imagine that that is a fact and part of science, it doesn't seem a real huge departure to get that you can cure, you can treat, you can heal, you can empower, you can help by using the voice. In other words, it's not such a big leap. It's only when you look at allopathic medicine do you say, oh, this is Star Trekian. But if you look at what NASA knows and what other agencies know and the CIA knows and these people that actually use frequencies through microwave stations, this is a frame of reference that should be clear all over the world. Do you agree with me? Absolutely. It's a matter of what active octave you tap into, either light or sound, or aroma, or kinesthetic, you know, laying on of hands healing, 
whatever octave you tap into, whatever you use, you're still using frequency. But see, this is really foreign for many people, even for alternative doctors. I've done a lot of segments on water. And one of the biggest distinctions that's really hard for people to get in this area, and I'm using this as an example, everybody's fine when we're talking about the chemistry of water. You have X chemicals in the water. But you start saying you have X frequencies that when you remove the chemicals are still in the water impacting your well-being, and you start translating that as the physics of the water, and people go south. They're like, what? So even when it comes to something as obvious as water, you take the material and you say, look, we remove the chemicals, but these are the frequencies that are still in it. There are people that do that with water. You're doing it with voice, but you're using the voice to help people. But do you agree with me that part of the big misunderstanding is you're talking about the physics of the voice? Well, It is physics, but it's also magnetic and electrical potential. But let's look at it this way. The brain speaks math, right? Every signal in the body gets to the brain as math. And they've even delineated, okay, um, what did they say, 16 to 30-something is alpha, and then you have beta waves, and you have delta waves, and theta waves. They have divided this up into different topics of behavior and thought patterns. So they, the scientists, they have even divided the brain up. And if I want to speak to the brain, I got to speak to the brain in its own language of math and octaves, just like they've divided brain waves into delta, theta, alpha, beta, whatever. Um, we do that when we give people back the sound. We find out what octave they are operating on. What octave is this disease manifesting on? Is this cancer emotional? Is this cancer uh, toxins and trash? Is this cancer genetic? And we go in on the level that the body speaks, which is, again, the math, and it works. Think about this movie um, and you, you probably know it well, Water, the Great Mystery. And in there, they talk about a guy named Jacques Benavista. He's I a, love him. He's my hero. He's the one who said water has memory, right? Abs- he, proved- he proved it in the lab. Yes. I love him. I'm so sad he died so young. Well, he died broken and uh, scorned. Yes. And now they're finding out through Emoto's work and that kind of thing that he was absolutely right on. Yes. Let's talk to the audience a little bit. He took blood and put it in a dish and exposed it to the frequency of a blood thinner and the blood decoagulated. And then they tried to say, well, he was uh, controlling the experiment with his mind or was cheating or was something. So he built this elaborate robot kind of sequence. And at different times of the day, even when nobody was there, it dropped blood in there and gave it a frequency or a control frequency. And that frequency would decoagulate the blood. We've been able to look at all of those frequencies. How does the blood decoagulate? What are we really looking at? And he did it with a robot and a frequency and an idea. We're doing it from having dominion over the brain of the person that we're working with by expressing everything we want the brain to know about in terms of frequency, its own language. I'm sure you know the history of this, and I just want to mention to the audience, Nature Magazine via England went in to destroy Jacques Benveniste, this amazing man. And who did they send in in the laboratory? Not even a scientist. They sent in the amazing Randy. That's what a botched 
disgrace their science was, and this is Nature magazine, I want it very clear that Jacques Benveniste actually proved that water has memory. This is the kind of stuff that goes on in science. We could talk a minute about Borg Nordenstrom and what the U.S. government did to him. He was a Swedish radiologist, head of his department. He discovered that if you put knitting needles into a cancer a tumor and send it back an equal and opposite frequency, the cancer would dry up and go away and kill itself. It works, but they ran him out of his own country. They, uh, they meaning pressure from other uh, people who were doing cancer research and just calling him a fool, just like they did. Jack uh, Benveniste. Yes. Tell me the guy's name again. Borg Nordenstrom, Swedish radiologist. And they did the same kind of thing with James Jimjewski that was at UCLA. He's now in Poland trying to put things back together. Wow. Let's open up the Starship Bridge to our guest. Maggie, do you have another question for Sherry Edwards? Well, getting back to your comment on magnetic and electrical potential, I just wondered if you have heard of Jim Self, who speaks to transcended beings and is bearing the message that thoughts are electrical and emotions are magnetic. Yeah, I haven't heard of this guy, but we use both of those, and I wouldn't doubt that he's correct in looking at things that aren't in physical form. When we look at somebody that's manifesting a genetic disease, we look somewhere between one and two cycles per second, and that'll show up in their voice. Then we look at something bioelectrical, and that'll show up at two to four cycles in their voice. And that, those are complete octaves of sound and color. And in that, we can predict what's going to happen, what's not material, what's not physical yet. And when we work with people, even when they go out of body, they start to manifest these very low, low frequencies that's magnetic potential and bioelectric. If, if you look at uh, an electric wire, there's a signal going on the wire, but there's a field around it that makes it behave. And that's the insulation around the wire that makes it go from here to there. You could look at this as driving uh, 60 miles an hour down the road, and that's the actual frequency, but all of the rules, unhidden, uh, spoken someplace, but they're in your mind, all the rules that keep you on your side of the road, that's the magnetic resonance. That makes the electrical potential behave. And I believe that uh, people who don't have a body um, yet or left their body are all here. They're just in a different octave. Visually, we can't see them. Some people can if you move your hand really, really fast in front of your face, you'll see several sets of fingers. And they can vibrate something and make it disappear. And I think there is a whole other universe set in exactly where we are, but they're in a different frequency band, another dimensional. I don't believe much in outer space uh, folks coming to visit us. I think it's interdimensional folks that cross over that barrier for us. You can't hear a dog whistle, but a dog can. It doesn't mean the dog whistle sound is not here. It just means you don't have an apparatus to pick it up. And I think that's what's going on with our limited bodies. We don't have the apparatus 
to pick up the other dimensions here unless we begin to do things like meditate and mediumship and we expand our dimensions. But that's just my personal opinion. That is such a grounded articulation. I'm floored. Left over from the interview that you did with together, the two of you, you made mention of identifying a part of within our DNA that is potentially responsible for holding the information of our previous incarnations. Yes, we can look at that in the vocal pattern. The architecture of how the signals or sound lays down in your voice tells us whether something came from the past or and it's something that you feel guilt about or whether it's coming from things that have not happened yet and you're worried that it's not going to get there. So based on this math pattern that we can look at in these big computer programs that we have created, we can see where that information is and even help you with with the loss of the loved one, Kim, we can see that information. Two different kinds of programs. We can look at time domain, which is usually topic-specific, what you're worried about, what you're concerned about, where you can see it. And then there's another type that we do called frequency domain, and that we take the voice not as how, now, brown, cow, four hits, four notes, but we take it and redistribute it from lowest to highest, that's where we begin to look at where the octaves play out and are they coherent, are they resonant, are they harmonic with each other. And if they aren't, we can pick out the pieces to show the frequency issues. That didn't make much sense, did it? Um, We can program water with a frequency of someone that you lost and you drink the water and their frequency becomes part of you and it helps you not miss them so much. That sounds homeopathic to me, yes? (laughs) In a way, in a way it certainly does, doesn't it? Thank you again for your question, Maggie. My question to you, Sherry, is are you familiar with Dr. Dean Bonnelly? No, I'm writing down all these wonderful people. Okay, Dr. Dean Bonnelly is the Yoda of magnetics. He is formerly a dentist. He's in Las Vegas, Nevada. He manufactures magnetic beds. He is aware that 5% of the Earth's magnetic field is dropping off every 100 years. Aside from all the other things we all know about in the air and the water and the food and the microwave stations and all the assaults on everything that's biological, Aside from all of that, our magnetic field is going. And many, many years ago, the Japanese came up with a magnetic bed, but they had missed a major thing about how the magnets should be relating to each other. So he completely changed the technology of this. And I would like to invite you and Dean Bonley and a couple of other physicists on. We're going to do sound, light, and magnetics and water together. I think that's the evolution where actually all of you will be able to talk to each other on the show. How would you like that? I would love it, but I would feel so out of depth. I don't know anything about these other things. I don't think you're going to be out of depth at all. You're going to be just fine because you're a pioneer. They're a pioneer in their area. They're going to be totally out of depth in your area. (laughs) It's a synergistic conversation to bring in a frame of reference that is going to put a little bit more together in areas that are connected. I think it would be great, and I think 
each of these things have their different octaves and anything that we can do to have dominion over our own body. I'm for it. Dean Bonley also was contacted by the Department of Fusion. I didn't even know there was a Department of Fusion. So he has to be pretty high up there if the agencies are calling him. <laughs> so in terms of the medicine of the future and your work, I understand that you were in a new movie. And I'd like you to talk about that movie. It's going to be coming out in December, correct? Yes. It's The um, Business of Disease, yes? Yes, with Sonia Barrett. Like we were talking about cancer, it has become a cash cow to cure a disease. And if they cure it, then they lose all their research money. And she's talking about how money, not health, is at the root of what's going on in our health crisis. Yes. She's some very wonderful people. And we're doing our part or trying to provide options for people in dealing with this. And we want health to be the topic, not wealth, when we talk about people getting well or having dominion over their own health. Now, back on our site again, soundhealthoptions.com, we have computer programs there that are absolutely free to the public because of how the government and other people have really mucked up our health. The one that we keep up there all the time, 24-7 for people, is radiation exposure. Now, think about that in terms of... How about Fukushima still being hot and what's going on and where the U.S. really is now with this? Well, they're ignoring it and they're burying it and they won't allow any stories to come out. We offered 10,000 copies of our computer program to Japan and they said, no, we have no problem. This is a computer program that can tell you if you've been exposed and can tell you what nutrients you need to help support it or what's going to be in competition with the poison. Radical Factors is another program that's up there for free, and there's a textbook, and there's a video, and there's charts. It's all free for people so they can help protect themselves against these um, they people. We just did an article about who are they because they don't have our health in mind when they do something like this. Uh, you know, taking the safe levels and doubling them to make people think they're safe. And that's our EPA that did that, ladies and gentlemen. Our EPA doubled and tripled the levels that were safe to make us think we're okay when we're not. It's idiocy. We did a big project on Parkinson's, and a lot of the people who came in here with Parkinson's actually were radiation poisoned, and they didn't even check them. And we give them the frequency antidotes. We give them the nutritional antidotes. Those charts are all on our site. That radiation chart is under downloads under radiation exposure. We provide this to the public because we think the government and all of the they's, and I'm going to, we just did an article on who are they, and it's on Sonia's website and ours also. But Big Pharma, Big F. A-R-M, as well as P-H-A-R-M, Big Pharma, these big banks, all of these people who are taking advantage of the little guy to put money in their pockets, and they really don't care. Vaccinations is one of them. That is the biggest money-making scheme. Um, If you really get to the bottom of it and look at some of the literature, research, and the books about it, um, that's one of the 
things that we're also giving away are pre-vaccination risk factors so people can help prepare their kids. We just had an incident here yesterday. They wouldn't allow this woman's little kid on the bus because he wasn't vaccinated. And it's like, show me the law. It's unbelievable. Let me tell you this. If you want to know how far things are in technology, you go to the patents. The patents tell you how long things have really been going on. I mean, at least in our lifetime, right? So the way you know that you have a criminal syndicate is when a government makes an entity or a industrial complex immune from responsibility. I know those are heavy words, but in the area of vaccination alone, that is a criminal syndicate. If the criminal syndicate has immunity from responsibility and they can put monkey polio in a vaccine that you don't even know is in there, this is crimes against humanity. I'm sorry, I've never been as vocal as I've been about this, but let's face it. This Gardasil that they're giving to young girls, it's criminal. And now in California, I don't know if you know this, Sherry, my children cannot go to a grammar school without the ability for the school to immunize my children against my will. You can't even get your children in school in California now without them being immunized. That is a travesty. This Gardasil is much more than just an immunization. When we took apart the shots and looked what was in it, looked at the math, Every one of these shots, 1, 11, 16, and 18, four different kinds of shots for Gardasil, they are all dealing with infertility. There's only one of them, and it's one form of the HPV 11. That's just a mood elevator when you look at its frequencies. But all the rest of them deal with making people, males and females, infertile. We can prove it. And we just did a big story on H7N9. All of that deals with the energy systems of the body, the Krebs cycle, the thyroid, the nerve impulses. You look at what's behind with Monsanto and you look at their patents. They've taken taurine and glutathione out of the wheat to make it Roundup resistant. Taurine, heart, muscles, glutathione makes all your rest of your minerals work. It's no wonder we are such a mess. We made it. Whenever you can file patents on the molecular structure of DNA, of animals, of plants, and of seeds, that is a crime against all biological systems, period. It's about greed. If they can control the seeds, then you don't have any food unless they say you can. Whenever an organization makes a declaration that their raison d'etre is to control the food supply by 2020 or 2025. Raytheon did the same thing. They took Nikola Tesla's patent on weather engineering and said they will control the weather by 2025. Now, when you have an entity that speaks its raison d'etre as that purpose, you not only should get the chills, you should be very alarmed. Well, to put this into perspective for people, it's a difference in a hothouse tomato that looks good but it's plastic and no nutrients, and one that you grew on your patio with lots of sunshine and love, and it tastes wonderful because it's full of what it's supposed to be. Andy, can you open up the Starship Bridge, please? Maggie, are you there? Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask you if you have a last question or comment on the show. Yes, if I may. Please. I wanted to go back to the fifth chakra because I understand it 
to be the center of our will. And I wanted to conclude my contribution to this conversation on the, the micro-macro, the macro note, the concept that what you're doing, Sherry, in a macro style is helping to restore our right relationship to our will, to be heart-centered and ruled by our own divinity rather than trying to control and contort our will or, you know, lord over, lie, do all of the insane, bona fide criminal things that we've been mentioning, but that there is really something to this area of our anatomy. Thank you for helping us to restore our, our, our right relationship to our divinity. Oh, that's a very nice sentiment, very loving and supportive. Thank you. What what we're trying to do for people, since I only have control over my stuff here, I can't control the money or Monsanto or any of those, but I think it comes down to health is a number one priority. Safety, yes, certainly. But health is a priority, and I want to offer people choice and options, and that's why we have all these free classes and free softwares. We have some professional-level classes, and we have some matching scholarships for people who want to start a bioacoustic center. But I think you're absolutely right. We have, as a humanity, we have lost our heart. We've gone to think and head and possessions. And for you to say that we're putting back people's um, will, their idea of self and dominion over self, I think we're going to have to have that before we can manifest the heart again because we've lost putting other people first. And I, to me, that's the heart of humanity. But I see so much out there that is greed, another part of man, and we're trying to support health so you can do whatever you want or need to do in the universe, whatever is good for you. But if they kill our health, with Gardasil and all of these threatened flu pandemics and the fluoride in the water and the GMO foods, if they take away their health, we have no choice left because we have no energy to fight with. That's where this is going. And I was not paranoid in the beginning when I started looking at this. Um, We started in 2009 looking at flu shots. And everything in nature is harmonic. And everything... All the pieces go together, like all the petals on a flower. And a normal man-made, I shouldn't say normal man-made, God-made, a normal God-made flu or cold is harmonic in its frequencies. And this stuff that's been coming out since 2009 is all man-made. And you can look at what they're trying to do each time. Each of these flus and, and all of these projects have something in mind, and for them to deliberately target rural America and inner cities where they think we're dumb and stupid and go put Gardasil there so those people are infertile and have a lot of problems being pregnant, that's disgusting. That I don't know what they're trying to do. I can't run my own life, much less try to run millions of other people's lives. I just, I think this is lunacy. I see no reason behind it except put the money in their pocket. Bioacoustic vocal profiling is the medicine of the future, but it's also a preventative part of what we need to be working with. In other words, 
you see a lot of people after the fact of whatever they're dealing with, right, in the disease state or in the discomfort state. But isn't this also, in a way, an energetic insurance policy to be in front of things and to be able to, you can't use the word diagnose, but in effect, you can identify things that are going to give you trouble in the physics of your body that are clear, that are in the sound science. And this is something that's preventative as well. Two stories there about can be predictive and it finds things that allopathic medicine has overlooked. We had a couple come in that were in a car accident. He had his hand crushed and couldn't move it. And so we helped him with his hand, but as the computer kept throwing at us, troponin, 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 that's a biomarker for heart damage. So you're both in the same car, you know, let's look at both of you. Both of them had troponin. The emergency room had missed it, and troponin said the heart has been damaged. So, yes, we can see that. We can also see predictive by your vocal print with no intervention what's going to happen in 30 or 60 days. A guy in with arthritis, and you could tell that his heart was getting ready for a heart attack. We were able to tell him, he checked with his doctor, sure enough, there was a problem. If you look at um, these big sports teams, we can tell them what muscle is going to uh, go, what's going to be traumatized. So it saves money. Is it traumatized or also where are the vulnerabilities? Vulnerability is okay. a better word for it. So um, this is going to go. We, we have a program that's um, muscle performance, and we can say, okay, we want to look at batting or kicking or swimming or whatever. What muscles are a problem? Uh, Tiger Woods. When, this is a funny story, and I'll hurry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, <laughs> when he was having all of those affairs and his golf swing went down, his, his uh, scores went down, we did an evaluation. And the muscles that were in stress in him were those um, lower back muscles that helps with the swivel of the swing, but they're also the same back muscles that, you, that a male uses during sex. Everything's connected. <laughs> Indeed. Is there anything else you'd like to say today on its rainmaking time? And we're so delighted to have you back. Well, we're doing research all the time. We just did a big project on weight management and found out that leptin is um, likely the cause of people who eat little and gain a lot and the doctors laugh at. We just did a study on Alzheimer's and Congress. That's an interesting study. Uh, we did a <laughs> We did a study on the people involved with uh, Benghazi and other kinds of things. Uh, see who's telling the truth. We want to teach people to monitor the people who are attempting to control them to see when they're telling the truth and when they aren't, who to stay away from, choice and options for your life, who to be around, who to believe, and how to have dominion over what's going on in your own body. Could bioacoustic vocal profiling be the next generation of what they use in the court systems? What is the name of that test, that process that they use to test if somebody's telling the truth? A lie detector? Yeah, lie detector. So is this in a way... Pardon? Polygraph, yeah. Polygraph. Thank you, Andy. Is this a quantum polygraph that can happen through the voice? If I had been asked to do Gaddafi's voice and other leaders by the government, I probably couldn't tell you about it. But I don't know how to say this. We're working with the government, with these big officials. We told them. I'm just going to tell it. I don't care what they say. 
we told them Gaddafi was going to stand and fight to the death. And this last go-round, when we were in this congressional garbage about, are we going to get the money or not, and we're going to kill Obamacare and whatever, Obama's voice is almost identical to Gaddafi's. Doesn't surprise me. Since you brought up Obamacare, just in the example, completely separate from politics, as a mode of care, it started off as 12,000-plus pages, and now it's 2,000-plus pages, and we're actually going to have somebody on here who's read the whole thing, which a lot of people espouse but have never really done. What is your greatest concern about this care package where doctors are ordered what kind of medicine they can do and can't do? Control and limits. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm very concerned. There was an article in USA Today. A woman went into the hospital, and they withheld insulin and said they could because there was a law saying that if insulin was in short supply, they could withhold it. And they wouldn't even let her kids bring her insulin in from home. And she went without insulin for three days. I don't want that to happen. We've been doing a project to provide insulin with sound, and it's working. Whatever problem they're going to cause us, we're going to try to undo. Now, we can't do anything about these supposed death panels, um, but we could keep people healthier so they don't have to use it. There's some parts of Obamacare that's very good, and there's some parts of it that traumatize my soul, the control we are giving over. And I want to be political here for a minute. I think this is what has happened. The government people spent all the money out of Social Security and Medicare and everything these older folks paid in. They squandered it all, and they created Obamacare so that they could create another Ponzi scheme for the young people to bail them out, and they're not telling us. The young people that they want to force into this and not pay anything for and make them pay into this pot is a Ponzi scheme for them to take care of the older folks. I hope I I said that correctly. They squandered the money, and they're trying to find a way to make the people make up for what they squandered. That, to me, is Obamacare. I think that's one central component, but I also think that what we're all witnessing is the centralization, the forced centralization of forced tax, even though it's not being called a tax, Because normally in a democracy, you don't have people being forced to buy things. This is very serious when people are forced to buy things that they A, can't afford and B, don't want. So there are people that don't want insurance. I believe in having emergency insurance. You know, you get in a car accident, you fall down the stairs. But for people, let's say, who are into the medicine of the future, we don't want to use a lot of the things that the allopathic medical care, sick care system has forced on the population. We're not interested. We want to be in the business of optimal health and prevention. So this really forces an entire structure onto people that are not in coherence, not in harmony with sick care and not in harmony with most of what's being done on so many levels and layers. But the other thing is that there is this centralization of the IRS. There's a centralization of your bank account There's the centralization of your sex life. There's the centralization of whether the system has agreed to provide whatever that's now going to be forcing doctors what they can and can't do. It's actually a police system. So, for example, my doctor who just passed away, 
would absolutely be put in jail under this system. He would be in jail because he would not go along with, first of all, having all his patients' medical records centralized. He would have to keep two sets of books. He would not go along with forced radiation and chemo to cancer patients that he cured, cured in his office with other modalities. And they would be up his behind. Sorry to say this like this. They're taking people to jail for not allowing their kids to have chemo. I know that all over the country. The laws don't make any sense of what they're doing. A man who's had a vasectomy is forced to take insurance for uh, childbirth and uh, OBGYN. Why does he have to have that insurance? He's a single male who doesn't have any plans to have any children, yet they're forcing that. This to me is a totalitarian regime. The problem is when you say this to the public, Some of the public translates this as, you guys are hysterical. You're just down on people having insurance. Are you kidding? Of course I would want people to get emergency help if they needed it. Of course I do. But I know that this is not that. And I know that this promise, this gift of care is not a gift. It's not a gift. Everybody has to pay for this. In my organization, if I have a certain amount of full-time people, whether I can afford it or not, I will be fined. My company will be fined if I don't pay for health care for everybody on staff. How is that going to contribute to more jobs? People need full-time work. They don't need part-time work. So now all these people across America are scared to death. They're going to be letting people go, turning them to part-time, and nobody can live on part-time. It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I am passionate about it. And I do want people on this show that have read every facet of it. This is frightening. One of the things that humans love is choice. I can go here. I can do that. I can eat this. I can do that. It's, it's being taken away. And that leaves us as if we are animals that are, you can only be in this pan. You can only eat this food. You can only have what I give you. We are going back to the animal farm that that book about the, I think, the French Revolution, and where we're being treated as chattel. And when you take away our choice, that's what you've done. You've turned us into chattel. It's interesting to note that the Congress doesn't want Obamacare. They want their own insurance policy that has nothing to do with this. And let me tell you something. Everything you need to know is right there. (laughs) They don't want the IRS in their bank accounts. They don't want to have to have the centralization of their medical records on a computer network that's hackable. We are living at a time of the centralization of everything. And for those of us that really want optimal well-being for everybody on Earth and all biological systems, the direction is in the decentralization of everything, not the centralization of everything. That's a whole other show. I love you. I love the work that you're doing. I respect you. I'm so appreciative that we're all alive at this time in human history, and I want to see to it that you get fully funded and never have to think about money another day in your life. That would be wonderful. We'd give all this away to people. But But it's time for you to not ever have to think about money again. Seriously, it's time. It's rainmaking time. Awesome. I want to leave people with the idea that there's nothing wrong in your voice. It's what we do about it that makes a difference. Thank you very, very much. And thank you, Maggie Hines from New York, who's joined us on the Starship Bridge. 
Thank you, Andy Abong, for facilitating this and for making so many of the It's Rainmaking Time segments work beautifully. And thank you again, Sherry. If you want to contact Sherry and would like to learn more about her work and actually get yourself tested and or become part of her team, both volunteer and become a student of her work, go to soundhealthoptions.com or you can call 740-698-9119. Sherry Edwards, thank you again. It's been an honor. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you.